Amplify Bookstore is an online bookstore dedicated to books by authors of colour. As people of colour ourselves, we found it really hard to find books by other people of colour in regular bookstores unless they were really popular titles. So, we started Amplify as a way to combat publishing's diversity problem and to amplify BIPOC voices in the industry. Find yourself on the page and diversify your bookshelf today at AmplifyBookstore.com and find us on social media at Amplify Bookstore. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do. You know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I can edit that bit out, I can do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B. I'm super excited to welcome a return guest, Mark Brandy. Mark's best-selling novel, Wimmera, won the coveted British Crime Writers Association debut Dagger and was named Best Debut at the 2018 Australian Indie Book Awards. It was also shortlisted for the Australian Book Industry Awards Literary Fiction Book of the Year and the Matt Ritchell Award for the new Writer of the Year. His second novel, The Rip, was published to critical acclaim by Hachette in 2019 and today we come together again to talk about the others. That's a really impressive bio, Mark, and welcome back. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, it's sort of a few years in the making, that bio, <laughs> but um, it's great to be back on your show. Yeah, it's so lovely to have you back. I looked through the archives and you were on episode 80, so really early on, I think, and now we're heading towards 400. So I love having repeat guests back because we can talk about, you know, I know you work really well and we've already had a chat, so I love having you on again. So thank you for giving me the time. A pleasure, total pleasure. Now The Others, can you give us an elevator pitch as to what The Others is about? Yeah, so um, it's basically the story of a young boy named Jacob and his father who were living a very isolated existence on a property out in the wilderness. 
And for his 11th birthday, the father gives Jacob a diary. Now, it's it's kind of ostensibly to help with his reading and writing um, because he's homeschooled. And that's the form in which the story is told. And through his diary entries, we see his interactions with the natural world and with the farm. But we also see his father becoming increasingly protective over Jacob and warning dangers outside their land. But inevitably, Jacob's curiosity gets the better of him and he then makes what is really a shocking discovery up the hill. So that's that's my elevator. It's a great elevator pitch. It really was. It's like, <laughs> to the point, didn't give anything away. You've it's always it. one of the hardest things to do, I think. When it is. People hate it. Every person I speak to hate it. But I think it sets the scene, so we have to do it. Right? It's important. It <laughs> Sometimes it's a really long elevator and people just keep talking, but that's fine too. <laughs> but you nailed it, Mark. You nailed it. <laughs> now, with the diary format, I'm really interested in that. And then why, I mean, I think it worked really well because, you know, you seem to get those real personal insights that you, you may not get all the time when you're writing just a narrative. Why did you choose the diary form for this particular book? Mm. I feel like the, the diary form kind of chose me in a oh, way. I like it, that. It was strange. Like I... At first, it began really with voice and, and with the voice of the young boy, and that's been the same of all my books. I've always started with voice and with character. And I thought, here, here he is. He's on this farm. You know, what would he do? He'd be recording what was going on in a diary. This made sense to me. And at that stage, I didn't really know where the, the narrative would head. I had kind of a you know broad idea that they might be on isolated. i I hadn't yet conceived of the others necessarily, but that was where I began. So I really, I quite like that epistolary form of storytelling, um, that diary form or through letters. I think, you know, even um, books like We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is, you know, through that letter form, because you're leaving space there for the reader really to to invest in what's going on and to figure out what's going on and so with with Jacob he's recording what he sees and what he understands but he's an 11 year old boy you know so his um, uh, conceptions and understandings of his father and what's going on in the outside world are very different than what we as adults reading the narrative, um, might think in reading between the lines. So I, I like that kind of tension between, and it's not so much an unreliable narrator, I would say, like he's a reliable narrator, he's recording what he's seeing, but we as adults are seeing that bit deeper and, and that's what I, I liked about that form. Mm. Oh, I think that's really interesting too. When you talk about reliable narrator versus unreliable narrator, it's kind of always a little bit unreliable because it's it's his perspective and it may not be the full, well, we know it isn't the full picture. So it's interesting that isn't it? even though you might think you're a reliable narrator, you are actually are not. So I think it creates that extra tension in the novel. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, using or, or writing through that young boy's perspective and that worldview was really enjoyable in a lot of ways, but really bloody hard to be. That's my next question. Yeah, well, it's kind of like you you have a limited you know, palette with which to work, with your, your vocabulary, how you might describe things, and particularly for, for Jacob, even though he's, um, he's a smart kid, but he, he's not worldly, he hasn't seen the outside world. So you're quite limited there. 
So that was a real constraint when I was writing it because always the danger is, and you find this sometimes, I'm not going to um, criticise other other books, but sometimes you find that um, a, a young kid can be very precocious <laughs> all of a sudden. Then, you know, kind of, um, Speaks you know, like a 40-year-old all of a sudden. Right. You never want them to be like a, a puppet for you, you know. And so that that was always tension. Like there, there is a coming-of-age element to the story, so he is becoming more sophisticated and I guess more curious as, as the book's going on. So I had to balance that as well. But one of the great things about that, that child's point of view is is really the kind of beauty that a child can see and and through their imagination as well and you know his descriptions of the animals on the farm that he really loves when, when he goes up the hill with his father and collects wood and you know looking out to the other properties he really you know he he visits places in his own mind and and even through the woman's weekly magazine you know that picks up and he imagines <laughs> his mum and so it's it's kind of like it's a double-edged sword with with mm. that that point of view I, i'm not sure i'll be rushing back to write a child's <laughs> point of view because it because it, it kind of like it was a really draining experience to write like i, I found it emotionally quite draining i came out the other side of it and I was just exhausted. I thought, mm. God, this is really like taking taking a chunk out of me. This book, but I can see that because you're trying to capture a character that is far removed from where you are now, and so you've got all these constraints. But you're trying to tell a story, and you're trying to get in the kid's head, and I can imagine that would be very draining at times. Yeah, yeah, and you sort of like in the way that I approach it when I'm drafting, like I go into that that viewpoint and I'm I'm there, I'm seeing the world through Jacob's eyes, I'm discovering the farm as he's discovering the farm, you know, and and all the, the perils that are there as well. And I have to stay in touch with that every day. So while I'm drafting, um, you know, I go into that world, I'm there for a, a couple of hours, three hours perhaps, and then I'm back out of it again. But I, I have to have that kind of, continuity of, of voice and experience but yeah that, that comes with a price too because yeah. you're just like yeah, I think you're wrecked at the end of it. I do remember you saying that though perhaps it was in our interview or, or maybe I read it somewhere but you did say that one of your techniques is being in contact with the book every single day because otherwise you lose that connection to the characters and to the setting and to the story even if you put leave it for a day you still do that you still keep contact with the with the yeah. manuscript every day I yeah. love that. Exactly, you know, I've, and I think it's partly because I've just got a bad memory. <laughs> it's just getting worse and worse over time. So like when I go back to the manuscript, I'm thinking, oh, what was I thinking when I was writing this? Where was I at? So it just makes a lot more sense for me to, to stay with it. And you need to keep um, momentum up too. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you just, you know, I, I, I said this, in, I think, in another interview um, elsewhere that, the kind of self-delusion is part of the writing process. Like you, when you're in those early drafts, you need to be able to kid yourself that it's okay and that it, it's, you know, this is a good story and it's going to be okay. <laughs> like I find myself just, you know, not out loud, but, you know, um, silently telling myself that because if I looked at it really, really honestly, I'd go, oh, this is just a mess <laughs> at that stage. You kind of you need that self delusion because you need to be able to overcome that fear. And part of the fear is I'm working on something which might not come together 
or it yeah. might not it might not work in the end or I might not be happy with it or my publisher might not be happy with it mm. and it's just sort of being able to push through that for, through what is you know like months and months of of writing and you, yeah it's just it's a it's a weird um it's a weird business in that way it's a weird enterprise because yeah. you don't really know if something um is going to have the effect that you want it to have until you know two years down the track when readers pick it up mm. and when you are telling yourself it's okay has that gotten easier over time because you've got runs on the board you know you've got two amazing books out a third one that's that's out now was that always as easy to tell yourself it's going to be okay or only since you've got those runs on the board i think it's it was easier early on really okay. yeah no expectation I, yeah i'm just i'm probably okay. harsher, harsher on myself now i think in some ways those the, it's it's odd to say that but like the self-doubt has never gone away no, you know? no. and it's just in in some ways it looms larger because there is that expectation you know that critics will be looking at it and they'll be analyzing it and it's not that you think you get necessarily an easy run with your earlier books but I think there is in a you know in a way when a book's a debut people will perhaps, and it maybe even just unconsciously be a little bit kinder and some, some of the faults, whereas I think when you're up to book three, it's a bit like, well, hang on, mate, you've been doing <laughs> this for a while now. You, you, should, you shouldn't be making these kinds of mistakes or whatever, whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Like I think I, I, I have greater belief that I can finish it, mm-hmm. like that I can get to the end and it will be a cohesive story more or less um but yeah the, the self-doubt as to whether it's any good is is definitely still there yeah you know what though I think self-doubt is a fine line but I think self-doubt can make your work better as long as it doesn't paralyze you I actually think self-doubt can be a good thing right yeah yeah that, that's and you, you hit the nail on the head it, it's it's just that balance because you need to be self-critical mm. um and in particular in what is largely a solo exercise that writing is you need to be able to um analyze your work um as objectively as possible you know never going to be completely objective but like I, I like to leave um you know time between drafts as much time as I can uh, so I go back and can look at it in a bit more of a clear-eyed yep. way. Um, but, yeah, you, you never, I mean, you're never going to be um, a completely objective observer of your own work because you have that idea in your mind of what it looks like, what that world looks like. Yep. And the, always the danger is that your your own mind and imagination will fill in the gaps that perhaps a, a reader um, won't won't pick up on uh, mm. through your writing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not making it seem like much fun. But, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I love digging deep into this because I think a lot of people we don't you don't talk about it a lot. You know, you see the writer maybe on Instagram pretending to type, and then you see this beautiful book. You know, and there's nothing in between. So I like getting in those hard spaces. <laughs> you know, it's it's good, it's good to talk about because you know a lot of it is is really really tough and I, and I think that the self the self-doubt is one of the the hardest things and you know we are um I think as humans kind of programmed to look for bad news I mean we see that in the way that um you know um 
newspapers operate or media outlets operate that, you know, bad news always leads, it gets the most readers. And that's just the way we are because I think there's something sort of um, almost through evolution that mm, would become survival. Like, that's that's right. And and then is like, this is probably a long bow to draw, but in looking at our own work and looking at the way that people respond to our work, we don't tend to see the the positive things. You know, someone can talk, or you you could get half a dozen reviews that sound great, and then there'll be one review that has one bad line in it, and you will remember that one line, and you'll remember who wrote it <laughs> forever. You know, like, and it's just, and you you can recite it exactly, and it's just, you know, it, it there's a lot of real, like psychologically, a lot of really difficult aspects to mm. having. Um, your books out in the world there's some wonderful wonderful aspects um, but there's some tough tough parts to it too yeah absolutely and it's interesting I just want to circle back a little bit you were saying that you don't know if a book's going to work you know you you write it you spend two years with it then you publish and I go eh, I don't know about that so when I'm reading your bio it sounds like this never happens to you Mark it's like you just wrote one book got published second book got published third book got published were there false starts, books that didn't make it, manuscripts still in the drawer in between all of the, that success? Yes, <laughs> is the answer. There's one that I'm I'm actually reworking now. That was a that actually I, I worked on after. So I wrote Wimmera, and then I worked on this other manuscript. Wimmera went out on submission, got rejected everywhere. Wow. So, my agent said, you know, maybe you should like focus on the next one for the time being. And so I focused on the next one and I wrote that. Meanwhile, Wimra, um, you know, won the debut dagger. And so then it got picked up by a publisher. And so this other one was kind of just sitting there and that still hasn't seen the light of day. Like my, my publishers looked at it, looked at it in the form that it was in and was like, nah, this isn't quite right yet. And particularly, like I'd written it in, you know, thinking that Wimmera was never going to be out in the world. So that it, is just a remarkable story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so so that's sort of and so I've gone back and tried. Um, I'm currently going back and and, and sort of um, trying to breathe some some life into that one because I think there's some definitely something there. Um, with with the others, like there was a a really deep interaction with my publisher over it. Like the original form that was in, it was quite different than what you see today. Mm-hmm. And you know. Vanessa Radnidge, my publisher at Ashet, and Stacey Clare, um, the other editor I work with, both did just a phenomenal job with kind of pointing me in the right direction. Um, and it probably needed more um, intervention, I would say, than than my, my first couple of books. Like, well... Actually, Wimmera did too. Uh, they all. <laughs> what am I saying? They all. They all needed. They all needed intervention. But I mean, it's kind of. Yeah, I, I really have, I think actually what it is, I'm not articulating myself very well. I think what it is, is that I now trust in my publisher a lot more than what I initially did. So I'm happier to give it over to my publisher, probably at a state that isn't quite ready and get their input on, on it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, 
I was just, you know, uh, I was always worried about my publisher kind of tearing up the contract and going, you're crazy. (laughs) Who who is this guy? He can't write. And so I always wanted to to get it into the most, you know, perfect form that I could before Mm. I gave it to them. Whereas now I'm a little bit more... um, I, and it's just it's helpful to have their their input at an earlier stage. I think. Mm. Oh, I think that's a that's actually very true. And it's interesting because the success of Wimmera, and then you just said it was rejected everywhere. Like, isn't that just described that doesn't just describe the business so well? You know, you think this book isn't going to work, nobody likes it, and then all of a sudden it has this great success. So it's almost like it just needs that one advocate to get that get that momentum going for it. Yeah, yeah, and it's just you know. It was rejected everywhere and rejected wow. multiple times, um, sometimes by the same publisher after they <laughs> worked. So it was kind of um, incredible. Like it, it was tough. Like I, I still believed in it, and that's why I sent it away to those prizes and why I sent it away to the debut dagger. Thank God I did. Mm. Um, but you know, I it, it's publishing is an incredibly hard business and um, inc- and and subjective. Yes. Subjective, which, um, you know, is what is so alluring about it in a lot of ways, but also it, it has has pitfalls if you're on the, the wrong end of it. But, you know, um, for an, a publisher within a publishing house, the process that they have to get through in order for a book to be acquired is enormous. And there are so many inputs into that. And sometimes you can think, you know, you get a rejection and you think, oh, God, they think it's awful. But it could just be that they have a similar book on their list that's coming out. There can be a whole host of reasons why. Um, and, and you know, so much of it comes down to timing, yeah. um, zeitgeist, um, luck, just dumb luck in, in all seriousness. Like I, I think that having the right uh, publisher within a publishing house pick up your manuscript those things aren't within your control. You don't know who's going to pick it up. Someone could pick it up who, like, hates it or someone who loves it, and you just don't know. So it's it's really, um, I think what the, 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 the take-out message, I suppose, I, I have from that is about persistence, that mm. you, you need to to stick at it. And, and that isn't to say that you don't take advice. You take advice and you don't stay with projects forever um if they're just you know doomed but you you try to learn what you can but you've you've got you've got to stick at it because it's just uh you know it's it's a really really tough business Mm. and it's that belief again you know even though Wimmera at first was rejected you still thought it was something and you still sent it off so it's about really having that belief but also like you just said be willing to let it go if you've explored all those avenues. That's a really tricky business. Mm, it is. And it was like, it was, it was heartbreaking for me to let it go because I, I loved those characters. I loved the story and I thought, oh, I, I was really quite despondent about it. But, um, yeah, I think you have to have belief in it and you have to have something you, you think is worth saying and something that's different and that perhaps isn't being said you know um elsewhere through other other literature at least that's my experience like i i hope that you know that's partly what drives me you know with with the others it was kind of these deeper questions around you know nature versus nurture um the extent to which those those early childhood experiences shape us those are the kind of questions that drove 
the work. It wasn't like I, um, it's not like I have a contract and then I go, oh, I've got to fulfill this contract and write another book because I I need to get the money. I mean, of course I need the money. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Buy the book if you're out there. (laughs) I need the money. Um, But it's, it's like, it's not why it's not why I do it. it why I do it is because I, I've, I've got something which I think I want to express and I'm not sure how to express it and through the writing of it I'll understand what it is that I'm trying to express if that makes sense yeah so, no absolutely and, and that's what I really liked about the the others I mean I loved loved the rip loved Wimmera and they were they, they were dark and haunting as well and that's kind of why I liked them but the others is kind of a next level haunting disturbing novel so what were the things you wanted to explore when you talked about um the trauma we carry as children and you know how that shapes our lives so how where did when these ideas come about do you think it's a bit of a your, your darkest novel so far in, in some ways yeah I mean, the heaviest maybe i don't know there's something there was a shift for me from your other work to this in a good way but i felt like there's a little shift yeah yeah i i think that that's i think you're right i I don't want to say it's my my, my darkest. I, I, I mean, people will, you know, see different things in your work, but it's like there was a definitely it's a claustrophobic. Yes, I think that's what it is. Maybe not yeah. darkest, but yeah, there was there was a difference. I think that's what it was. It's a real claustrophobic, but I, I suppose I, like partly what inspired it um, was, and this is more something that I identify in hindsight, but it was really a, a kind of a reflection of my father's relationship that he had with his father. And that was only, and that was something that I learned, like my, my dad didn't talk about very much, but I learned bits and pieces over the years because my, my dad grew up, um, uh, he was born just before the Second World War in Italy and they lived on a very remote property. He was the eld- second eldest of seven kids. Um, they really lived a subsistence kind of existence on the farm, um, no running water, no ele- electricity. Um, and my my grandfather was, was quite a tyrant, like he was a, abusive, um, violent towards his wife and his kids, a womanizer, a drunk. And, you know, my my dad had this really difficult relationship with him, as you can imagine, and right up to adulthood. But my dad kind of he, he carried that with him. He didn't didn't talk about it. And he was really determined not to, you know, repeat that same behavior with his kids. He was, you know, very honorable in that way. And I suppose I was just interested in how much because often and particularly like even thinking about my first couple of books you see how um childhood trauma plays out and sometimes to really um terrible effect and i saw that in um my professional life too in the justice system you sit you see yeah. it in courts every day and it certainly is true but it, it's not always true and, and i suppose i was interested in looking at is there something about us as human beings that is inherently good or is it something that we're, we're socialised into? So for Jacob, he's there on the farm. His only kind of um, teacher and influence is his father. Yet, you know, as you know, reading book and this without any spoilers, but later he, he's sort of faced with a choice and and about whether or not to do the good thing or the kind of bad thing 
and and I suppose yeah and I, I don't want to give it away but it's <laughs> like I, I I wanted that test to be there for him and because I, I I tend to think there there is something in inherently good about people you know I'm despite what I write about <laughs> I'm kind of an, an optimist you know about people I think that a lot of headlines are written about you know bad stuff and people doing bad stuff all the time and the reality is most of us go about our lives and do good things most of the time and it, it isn't because we want something out of it all the time like it's because I think we we care about people and you know we love people and we're social and and all that kind of thing so it's yeah I, I love yeah. that yeah, no, I love yeah. that. And, you know, a lot of people are who write, you know, crime or psychological thrillers or dark books. They are really positive because I think you just get all that dark stuff out of you. <laughs> you it's yeah, liberating. It can be lighter afterwards. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I love the idea of nature versus nurture, and I've done some research on um, trauma and how there is studies to suggest that it can be transferred on a cellular level, so not just, you know, um, the environment so did you sort of take that on as well and you know probably a bit too personal but I mean this sort of comes from your life as well so does that kind of does that make you think about yourself yeah, yeah. Oh, of course of course yeah. you know and I, I've yeah I've, I've similarly I've read stuff you know about kind of the in utero sometimes the stress of yeah. you know it, like it, it's it's quite amazing um it's fascinating it just fascinates me that that sort of thing yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, in a way, um, I think my myself and my, my siblings and probably broader family, in a way, are, are still, we, we don't even realise that we're, we're dealing with that trauma, yeah. you know, that, that was inflicted upon my, my dad by, by his father and, and in, inflicted on his broader family as well. Um, so I think, I think that that's, that, that's right. Um, how it manifests, I mean, I'd probably need a therapist to really <laughs> voice to that. I couldn't say. It feels like we're kind of doing that here, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a form of therapy, definitely. But like as a as a kind of a, a, a sad postscript to that story, um, my grandfather and my grandmother, he she divorced my grand grandfather and came out to Australia um, to be with uh, her kids. And my grandfather actually pursued her. Um, out here to try to like rekindle the relationship um, which she never wanted to mm. but um, unfortunately it, they did um, my one of my aunts after my my grandmother died she was buried at Melbourne General Cemetery which is not far from my house actually and when my grandfather died they buried him together with her, which I thought was really like a terrible injustice, you know, after all that she she did for, for her family, you know, mm. to try to, like, protect them fr from his influence. And, you know, I, I mean, I, sh I don't blame my auntie for it because I think it was just one of those um, uh, kind of Catholic Italian yeah. shame kind of things that they just wanted to fix in the end. But, you know, that kind of... Those stories, it, it's weird because you, you can, oh, like a, earlier in my life, in my youth, I never really thought about that stuff very, very deeply. But I think as you get older, as, as you're alluding to, you, you do think about, oh, God, I wonder how much all that stuff, you know, impacted us and impacts me to this day. So 
So hopefully through writing about it, I will exercise all those demons <laughs> and I'll, I'll be a nicer person. <laughs> but it's interesting though, isn't it? Because I think as you get older, you might, I do, I, you feel more comfortable in knowing yourself in all its flaws and complexities. And so, you know, that's where I was coming from. My parents were, in, my grandparents were in um, Japanese war camp. And so I always wondered, you know, how, how has that affected me? You know, is that why I suffer anxiety part of the reason? So it really fascinates me that these things, you know, come down and then you can explore yourself a little bit better because I think the only way to progress or, you know, try and change parts of yourself is to understand yourself, like warts and all, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, totally. I think I think you're totally right. And, you know, I, I would sort of like sometimes, you know, people talk about, you know, writing as therapy sort of disparagingly but i think i think writing can be incredible therapy for, yeah. for people um and it can, can make you understand yourself a lot better because i know that like the characters that i write in all my books they're all from me you mm -hmm. know in different in different forms even those like terrible forms not you know obviously um they don't manifest in real life <laughs> but it's kind of like there's aspects of me um in all of them and so you you, you do understand yourself more mm. through that work i love that i was having this conversation yesterday with someone and we said you know it doesn't matter if you're writing a ninety thousand word novel or a, a hundred word poem or a picture book you always leave a part of yourself on the page even if it's not obvious even if it's you know only subconscious it's you have to, I guess, because you're yeah. investing so much time and energy and emotion into into this project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like when I look back at, at Wimra, when I look back at the Rip, I see more clearly now, you know, why I wrote about particular things, how I wrote about them, you know, what the characters represented. I understand that better mm. now than what I did at the time. So. You know, maybe in a couple of years, if you get me on to talk about you know, my next book, I'll be able to <laughs> talk about the others with even greater clarity. <laughs> and we'll go, go and have another therapy session together because this <laughs> has been great. <laughs> feels so much better. Well, it's necessary at the moment. In that <laughs> it year. is, absolutely. I'm doing this for me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the tone is set in the others, you know, from the outset, and I love this line, sometimes you have to do the most terrible things, sometimes you just have to. And it's one of those killer lines that give you, you know, suspense and it makes you think what's going to happen. It gives you character, but it doesn't tell you anything. Tell me about, you know, this line and, and where it came from and how it sets the tone for the entire novel. Mm. Well, it's it's partly an embellished uh, line from from real life so so when I was um when I was a kid we we had a farm outside of town right and uh, we had sheep on the farm we had issues with foxes rabbits all that sort of stuff um with vermin out there and we used to go hunting and um and my dad used to set traps out there as well and one day he came back from the farm and um and he had a like a young fox with him like alive that he'd caught in the trap and we then kept that basically as a pet which sort of like shocked me you know wow. because it was like an animal you know we tried to kill and yet we're keeping it as a pet so that was sort of like confusing to mm. me um but so I, I wrote like a fictionalized account of that that story initially as a short story and that was published in Mianjin but that line it kind of 
it came from. And I don't want to give away that particular story because it's yeah. sort of relevant to the novel. Um, but that line came from um, something that my, my dad had to do to deal with the fox in the end. And he, he said, he didn't say that exactly, but he said something along the lines of, you know, that it was one of the hardest things that he ever had to do in his life. And it mm-hmm. could see, you know, he wasn't someone who was very, um, you know, prone to sentimentality or anything like that. He was a pretty hard guy. Um, but I really saw that it, it, it pained him. And it was just that, I guess that it, it sort of showed in a way, um, you know, it's some of those complexities of the human experience that we we can do these really contradictory things sometimes. Um, you know, we, we can... We can care for a wild animal we've tried to kill and then we might have to you know, do something really ruthless later on, which is contrary to how we want to behave, but we, we feel like we have to um, in order to be kind. And, you know, it, when I wrote The Others, of course, you know, it's a very different story than um, than my father's experience or my experience um, with respect to that fox. But... I suppose it, it provided like a, a grain, you know, that I could work with. And I thought, you know, there's something in that. There's something more I want to know here. And so that's where, where I started. Um, so that, that line, you know, that wasn't originally the, um, the kind of uh, tagline on the front of the novel. It was, um, it was something different. But I, I, I really wanted that there because I felt like it, it said so much about the novel, mm. you know. And I think if it's something that stayed with you for so many years, you know there's power in it. Well, that's right. Yeah, if you're still thinking about it, you know, 30 years later, more, um, there's definitely something there. And that's, <laughs> and that's actually, yeah, it's a good thing for um, even, you know, aspiring writers to think about. If it's that thing that's sort of nagging in your mind that you've never been able to shake off, there's probably a reason. Mm. It's probably a good thing to write about. That's the thing. That's the thing to write. Great advice. Yeah. I want to ask you, um, has your writing process changed from book one to book three and all the ones in between? Um, I think sort of in a day-to-day way, it's it's pretty much the same. Like I, I still start late um, and, and probably, you know, procrastinate a lot, <laughs> um, which I sort of consider part of my process in a way. Um I'm probably a little bit, I'm a bit slower, I'd say, in my writing. Like, I don't sort of feel the need to, um, you know, meet a certain word count every day and be, like, pumping it out. Like, I, in saying that, I want to stay in touch with it, I want to keep momentum, but I don't feel that same pressure to produce, produce, produce. Mm-hmm. I don't feel as, um, I suppose, I still I still feel some sense of urgency to 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 write and to get work out but it isn't at the same um volume as what it was in my 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 first couple of books um where I just thought oh you know I need to get this done um I need to get this out there there was something really pushing me to do that I think now I'm a little bit more reflective and and careful about what I write and um the words that I use and at a, at a sentence by sentence level, I'm, I'm more careful because I think that, yeah, I don't edit as I go, but I, I suppose I, I've realised that it, it kind of saves me work mm. later on too. Yeah, that was just going to ask you if, if you're more purposeful about what you put on the page, the editing is easier? 
I, I, I sort of hope so. I mean, you, <laughs> never, you never really know, I guess, because yeah. you haven't got the, you know, the kind of um, anything to compare it to yeah. uh, with the same work. But I think it does make it, it makes it easier, but it's just a bit of a, yeah, a slower process. But I think that it's partly to just, you know, getting a little bit older. I think you, you don't, um, you know, probably work as quickly as what you once did. <laughs> I don't think you're that old, Mark. Oh, no, no, no. Losing your memory and... I know. (laughs) Falling apart. I'm I'm blaming COVID. Let's blame that for everything, all right? I'm in lockdown for another few weeks, so not on my happy list. (laughs) Imagine. Yeah, Mark, this is a question I ask all my guests when they come onto the podcast. The final question is why do you write? We touched on it a little bit, but I think we can, you know, dig a little bit deeper. Why do you write, Mark? Ooh, um... What all right. So the bigger the pause, the better the answer. Yeah, yeah. In my, I, in my experience. Oh, well, I, 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 <laughs> it really, it really is, um, and I don't think I'm, I'm not on my own in in saying this. It's, it, it's my way of of making sense of things. It's a way of making sense of the world and understanding it better, and, and not just in novels, but even the nonfiction stuff that I've I've written. I understand things better. I understand myself better through through writing. I think too the the other aspect is when when I'm kind of in flow and I'm in the world and I'm I'm drafting and I'm there. Time disappears. Everything else disappears. I'm in it, and there's no other experience I have that is like that. Mm -hmm. There is nothing else in my life that is like that, that I've discovered, you know, Um, which is, it's magic when that happens. It's not always like that. Like sometimes it's a, it's a drag, but um, when that's happening, it's just like, Oh, I feel like this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Um, And there's, yeah, there's no better feeling for me. I love that. And it's probably part of that therapy part because it's a time when you, you have to be present, you know, you, it's, and that's what, you know, that's what helps us be a bit mindful. So it's that in the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. You're sort of, you're not distracted by myriad things that you, you ordinarily are. So, mm. it's, um, yeah, I feel very lucky to be in that situation. Mm, what a great chat I seriously I've thrown away most of my questions because I didn't need them and they always bring me the best chat so (laughs) thank you so much for just being so honest and going on this amazing journey about your writing and how personal it was and all those things it's been such a pleasure to chat to you again um about the book and all these other tangents it went on which is the best (laughs) yeah yeah no I I I really loved it Danny um keep doing what you're doing it's yeah I I loved our chat and I, I hope we can have another one again in a couple of years absolutely we'll lock that in right now <laughs> <laughs> and i hope you know that things improve soon and you're set free more important thank you looking to people like yourself in melbourne who've lived through it as my inspiration you you've gotten through it far worse we will too so i keep telling myself what did you say before it'll be okay that's what it'll i'm be doing. okay and the sun <laughs> will shine again <laughs> thank you so much mark thanks Danny.
thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.